thoughts of revival. Please be seated. Morning. Is everybody doing all right? Okay. Good morning. Is everybody doing okay? Yes. Good. Awesome. Um, brought my my phone up with me uh, because I got a text this week and um, just wanted to share it with you because I think it was very insightful. There is a uh, two kids, one named Eli Potts and the other named Liam Potts, and they go here to church. You may know them. You may not know them, but uh, nonetheless, uh, I was sent this text, and they were having a conversation with their mother, who is Haley Potts, and this is what was said. Eli, Jesus was single. Why didn't he get married? Haley, I don't know. Liam, Jesus wanted to do his own thing. That is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. By the way, now that Nate is out of the room, I have my grip streets. I don't know about you. I've got it. <clears throat> it. It hasn't changed. Of course, for it to change, I would have to exercise. Yeah. So, so there you go. Yeah, it hadn't changed at all. I got my grip strength. All right. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to uh, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. That's where we are today. And... Um, Revelation chapter 2, we'll begin reading with verse 1, Revelation chapter 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right, now turn to your neighbor and say, I'm that angel, you're not really that angel, <laughs> To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So the words of him who holds the seven stars, that of course is Jesus. The seven stars is the seven churches that he is writing to. It's Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergamum, and so forth and so on. And so he's holding these stars in his hand. Now, here are the churches and where they're actually at on the map. They're actually in what back then was known as Asia, okay? That has changed today, but known as Asia. And so, it, just that one little location on the map, and you have one, which is Ephesus, two, which is Smyrna, Pergamos, which is three, four, Thyatira, five is Sardis, uh, six is Philadelphia, and seven is Laodicea. And so, he wrote them in that order. Now, I don't know if God intended this or not. It's not clear enough on here for me to say, yeah, that must be it. But I think it's interesting, this particular setup, it's not, it's not because it's the logical flow of where you would visit these churches, which it would be. Um, it's that the seven churches of Revelation, in a literary form, has this structure. It's A, A, B, B, C, C, and then D. So let me explain what that means. Um, one and seven would be A. That means they have the same sort of theme. So they connect together. 
So in, to interpret number one, you really need to go to number seven and you get kind of more nuances as you interpret number one and vice versa. If you're talking about the church of Laodicea, you need to reference like church of Ephesus in order to get some nuances there. And the same is true of two and six. See how the map goes? It's just kind of interesting how the map goes along with this literary style. So two and six are actually churches that are very encouraged. Jesus encourages them in that. And then you have three and five and four. Now, three, three, five, and four could all be a part of the same letter. It could be letter C, or three and five is C and four is, is D. There's a debate on that. But nonetheless, that's how these churches are set up. That's how it's written. That's the structure of how this is written, and it plays a role. Um, at first, I was going to compare Ephesus and Laodicea and really make those connections, but I'm not going to be able to because of time and the way the Lord led me. But this week, if you would study them that way, I think you would see some parallels, especially when it comes to repenting and Jesus knocking on the door. Okay, So that's the churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, and he is holding them in his hand. I would submit to you this morning that every church that has believers in it Jesus Christ is holding in his hand. And I did mean to say that. There are churches that do not have believers in them. Their walls, people come, they have no clue about the gospel. There are churches that way. But churches that have believers in them and believers meet. They believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've asked the forgiveness of their sin. They've asked him to be their savior. They're here to worship him. Those are churches that Jesus has in his hand. And that means that he is protecting those churches. Jesus in scripture says, um, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against my church. And one of the main reasons it will not prevail against his church is because Jesus is holding those churches in his hand and you just can't get to them. He can. He can get to them, but nobody else can. And he holds them in his hand. So the church is going to continue all the way until Jesus comes back. It's not going to be able to be stamped out. In fact, if you take away our freedom to assemble, we will find another way to assemble, is what happens. Because we love Jesus. That's what we do. We love him, he loves us, and he'll protect us. Second here is it says he's walking um, among the seven golden lampstands. Now, John doesn't keep stars as these churches. He also says lampstands are these churches as well. And so Jesus is walking among the churches. That means that he is present in the church. He is walking among us. Jesus is not a God that is somewhere up here looking down and observing and knowing. Jesus is a God that walks among his people. So in this building right now, Jesus is here. He's here. Now, I'm not assuming that everybody in the room is a believer, but I'm assuming that there's more than three. And just to make you feel better, I think there's a lot more than three, okay? I'm not trying to say there's only three, and I know who they are. The rest of you are sitters, you know. I'm not, I'm, that's not what, come on, that, you, that should put a smile on your face, okay? I'm not saying that. What I am saying is we are together, and Jesus is in this room. And so he knows what is going on in this room. Jesus is also a part of your small group. If you are a part of a small group in this church and y'all meet on Sunday night or sometime during the week, when you meet, Jesus is there in your midst. He is walking among you. When you go out to the parking lot, 
and you're getting in your car and you're having the positive conversations that I know occur after church in the parking lot. Jesus, and I mean that, that sounded like a joke, but I mean that. Um, he's out there walking in your midst. He is here. He is with you. He's trying to connect with you. Jesus is among us walking around, and he knows why you're here this morning. He knows why you're here. And there's several reasons why you could be here this morning. One, your parents forced you to come, right? You really didn't want to come, but your parents forced you to come. It's just something that y'all do on Sunday, and you just have to go to church, and you're here because you were forced to come. Some of you feel like you're forced to come because your other spouse forces you to come, and you feel guilty if you stay at home, so you decided to come this morning, and you kind of feel guilty. It's an obligation. You feel obligated to come to church. Some people, maybe, I don't know that this is the case here. Some people might have just said, well, there's nothing else better to do. So I'll just, I'll just come to church this morning, you know. There's nothing else better. We don't have anything else, so I, so I guess I'll come. There's some people that just happened to wander into the building. They, they got up and they thought, oh, my goodness, this would be a great time to come to church, uh, to try out a church this morning. They just came. And then other people, which I think is the majority of the people in this room, came because they love Jesus. You love Jesus. You want to worship him. You want to learn something about him. And so you, you got up this morning and you thought, man, this is a great day to be in the house of the Lord, and you came to church because you need church. You need a touch. You need Jesus to speak to you this morning. And so he is in this room, and for all of us that came for that reason, he has a message for us that we can take with us during the week and, and makes us better people, makes us better servants of him and represent him. So he's walking among the lampstands. So he holds the stars, the church, in his hand, and he walks among us. He's not somebody that just stands off and just kind of observes and, and that's all he does. He is really concerned about you and me. And so he writes these letters to the churches. In verse 2, he continues. He says, I know. Well, of course he knows. Because he knows you. And he knows the church at Ephesus. He says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you can bear with those who are evil but I've tested those who called themselves apostles and are not, and I've found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake, but, and you have not grown weary. So this church is being persecuted. <clears throat> There's stuff happening culturally that the church is being called names, and these people are standing up for what is right. That's what they're doing. But then he says, but... I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You have abandoned it. Abandon means that you abandon it. <laughs> you left it. You had it, but you abandoned it for something else. You had it, it was in your heart, it was part of who you were, but you left it behind. You ejected it from you. Or you just left it over time. One of the two. It, it was abandoned. Um, I don't know if you <clears throat> know about this or not. I'm just, just forgive me for the nerd moment. This is a nerd moment. It's a nerd moment. But my nerdness only goes so far because I don't know that much about it. Okay? <laughs> that was fun. Okay. Anyway. The Apollo missions. Everybody's familiar with Apollo missions. And Apollo 10, 
was the last mission around the moon that wasn't going to land on the moon. So you had one through ten that was just test, test um, missions. And then Apollo 11, of course, is the one that landed on the moon. Well, what they were doing was they were trying to see if they could land on it and if they could reattach uh, the ship so that the crew could get into the capsule to get back to Earth. And then what they would do, the idea was to detach this piece that's going back to Earth from this piece and put this piece on the moon. So it was a process. One through, well, actually nine did this. They, they detached it, and it was just left on the moon. So we have left stuff on the moon from America. Yeah, I kind of like that. Some people like metrics. I like the other one because that put us on the moon. Okay, so you detach. So in 10, this is what happened. They sent a crew up there, and they detached from the main ship, and the lander named Snoopy, which I think is awesome, Snoopy went down and kind of hovered above the moon's surface, and then it went back up and reconnected. Now, when it reconnected and the astronauts went into the capsule that was going to take them home, um, something happened, and Snoopy was ejected from this capsule, and they lost control of it, so it didn't make it back to the moon. It's actually somewhere in outer space. They saw it, they saw it go away, uh, they saw it disappear, and they know that it is currently rotating around the sun. And here's why it's rotating around the sun rather than the moon. See, when it first went off, it had an orbit around the moon. And this uh, capsule that had our astronauts in it that was supposed to make it back to um, Earth. I, are y'all having a Krispy Kreme moment? Because I get it if you are. You know, glaze. <laughs> the glaze moment. Just, just bear with me. Just bear with me. Just a moment. I, the nerd moment be over in a minute. I, I get it. But, but it, this part was coming around the moon this way, Snoopy. And the capsule with the astronauts were coming around this way, and they were on a collision course. I don't know if you knew that or not. So what NASA did was they fired the booster. Now, this is where I lose it. I don't know how this works, but they fired the booster. They got it out of the orbit of the moon so that this capsule could go around the moon and come back to Earth. Well, when they did that, Snoopy became, began to orbit around the sun. So every 10 years, Snoopy passes the Earth. So the Earth is here, and Snoopy passes the Earth. It's another thing that's just kind of, you know, in an orbit around the planet. In 2018, they found Snoopy for the very first time. And, and they discovered him, and everybody thinks that it's him. Because of the trajectory, where it is, it matches everything. So the next time it's coming around is 2028. That's when it will come around, and they're going to do some other tests. But it's the only... Formerly manned spacecraft that is still in outer space. Did you know that? Yeah. It's either on the moon or Earth. It's the only one, and it's, and it's rotating around the Earth. The reason I bring this up is this. Okay? Sometimes you and I detach ourselves from God's love. And we eject that portion of our life. We're going to try to make it home. We're still in orbit. We're still coming down to earth. We think everything's fine. But his love just kind of slowly goes around the moon and kind of starts to disappear. And in this passage of scripture, he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first love. You have abandoned it. You have left it behind. You, you have, have started focusing on something else. 
you have left your first love. It's gone. Now that love is still in orbit, and it's still in orbit around you. We just talked about how Jesus is walking among us. He knows what you're thinking. He knows where your heart is. He knows if your heart is, has him as the first and foremost thing, or if it is slid into something else that doesn't even impact your life. He knows that, and he's in this room, but he hasn't left you because he cares about you. And so he's saying, you have left your first love, but I haven't left you. I have this against you that you've left me, but I am still here wanting you to reattach yourself to me. So you've left behind your first love. The love is still available. Now, this is very important. If you leave your first love, Jesus Christ, you are unable to love anyone else. You're unable to love anyone else. Now, Philip, I, there's people that aren't saved that love people. Okay, yeah. You're not able to love people the way God loved you. You're just not able to. You love everybody with a human love. And human love is what I like to call transactional. Transactional. I love this group of people because they do this for me. They make me feel this way. They've helped me in this particular manner. Or I can actually, um, I feel good when I'm around them, okay? This group of people over here, I don't love and I will have nothing to do with. They are actually my enemies. I don't love them at all, so it's transactional. I love this group of people, but not this group of people. And when you're attached to the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and you haven't left your first love, you love everybody. So human love is kind of down like down here. Marriages are sometimes human love and not God love. Well, you know, I just don't, I just don't feel the same about her that I used to feel, you know. Well, not to scare anybody off of marriage, but welcome to marriage. Right? Come on. Okay, I'm going to tell you like I did the first service, okay? I've been doing this a long time. Well, longer than I want to admit at this point in my life. So what I've noticed is from audiences, when I preach against something that someone else is doing, they're like, amen, that's right, preacher, they're right. But when it's you, that's what happens. So if you want to fake me out this water, you're going to have to shake your head, okay? Right? If you're married, somewhere down the line, the, the love that you had humanly goes like this. And if you're a Christian, the only thing that keeps you together is that you have made a commitment with God's love to that person. Amen, church? That's what it is. So it's transactional. She doesn't do what she used to do for me. She, I don't feel the same that she does feel. That is all kind of a human sort of existence kind of love. He is not the same he used to be. I don't know if I love him anymore. That is all human type of love. And it is a sign that you have left your first love. Because if you had not left your first love, which is Jesus Christ, you wouldn't have those, you might have those thoughts about him. But you still wouldn't say, you wouldn't say, well, I don't love them anymore. I just don't feel the same. And marriage is something, ladies and gentlemen, not that this is a marriage sermon, but I think I need to say this here. Marriage is just something that goes through cycles. It goes through cycles. You, you love them a lot, like humanly a lot, and then other times you're like, do they have to come home tonight? 
Like, really, can I just take a break for just a few moments? Or can I go for a walk a little bit, you know? But then it's like, yeah, I, I like having them around. It's, it's, it's a cycle. But just because at, at a certain moment you don't want to see them doesn't mean that you've fallen out of love with them. Right? It doesn't mean that. It just means that just for a moment, you are just going through a time where you just have to work something out. And so people that leave their first love can only love on a human level, and it affects your love for everybody else, your friends, your neighbors, people that you know at work. It affects everything. And your love for everybody around you is greatly diminished. There is no preacher in the world, no commentary, no doctorate of Bible anywhere in the world that can totally explain God's love for you and me. Nobody. At some level, the love of God is a mystery. It's kind of like holiness. It's kind of like um, a glory. Glory is a mystery too. You cannot totally explain God, but you just know that he loves you. It is a quality of love that's far beyond this world. And when you leave it, you are forced to live in a human state of existence, which means human love and humans will love somebody one day and eat them the next. Right? And God's love is, I love you today when you're great and I love you Tomorrow, when you're going to be a stinker, I love you regardless of if you're good or bad or whatever. I love you. It doesn't change. His love doesn't change. So your value, it loves. See, this church was doing the right thing, and they believed the right thing, but they didn't have love. They were standing for the right things, but they didn't love the people that they were standing against. Ladies and gentlemen, in our culture, with everything that's happening, we need to be careful that when we stand for the truth, we're not standing against people. That we stand for truth and still love them anyway. We love the people that disagree with us. They're not necessarily our enemies. We love them and we would like them to have a relationship with Jesus because our love for him is so great, we want them to have that too. Is everybody with me on that? Yeah, so you love, you stand, but you love, and you do it correctly. If you abandon your first love, you will accept things that you don't believe in. You will. You'll have the belief, but you'll allow it in your house. You, you have the belief, but you will be acceptance of others. Well, that's just, you know, whatever. You, you'll accept things that you don't believe in. If you abandon your first love, you'll accept actions that aren't right. That's what happens. And so Jesus says, I have this against you. You have left your first love, and I want you to come back. And in verse 5, it says, remember, therefore, where you have fallen. This is the first step to get back to the love that we should have for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, how many of you, Nate talked about his grip ago that has that has left him i'll tell you what has left me and it bothers me it bothers me a lot my memory has left me it's not names it's not names not names that has been you know i'll remember your name one time and i won't remember it the next i mean it's uh, you know it just happens it's just something that happens has happened my entire life that just happens okay i'm talking about memory of events like in my past memories of events 
And I don't, I don't know if there's a certain point in time where this left me, because when I was in my 20s and 30s, I could remember everything, everything that happened, when it happened, who was there, and what they were wearing at the moment. Anybody else like that? Yeah, some people? And now that you, you're too young, girl. And, and some, of you, some of you now are like, where did that memory go? Some of you? I remember the big stuff, though. I remember when I was married and what happened on that day. I don't remember everybody that was there, but I remember getting married and who did, my, who, who did the ceremony. But I also remember when I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I left a pew at Tabernacle Baptist Church and ran down the aisle. I was the first Baptocostal to ever be in that Baptist church. It was the most charismatic they'd ever been when I ran down that aisle and grabbed the preacher and said, please let me receive Christ before my parents get me, right? Because I was not a good kid in church. I was not sitting like you guys are sitting, which is very nice, very nice. I was everywhere, absolutely everywhere in church. And so, and so here, here I ran and I, I received Christ and they took me in a room and they told me how. They, they told me, uh, ask forgiveness of my sins and to ask Jesus to be my savior. And I did that. It was so exciting. And then a couple weeks later, I was baptized. I can remember when I was baptized. I remember the people in the room who was baptized with me. Not at the same time, but we were in that room and then we walked up the stairs and we did it. I remember all those people. And I remember that moment of being dunked. I do not like water, but I was excited to be baptized. To be dunked, come back out, tell people that I received the Lord Jesus Christ. I was excited to come to church the next couple of weeks. I really was just excited to be there. And what he is saying here is that you need to remember where you have fallen. You need to remember the time that you were excited to come to church and nothing would keep you from coming here. He's telling you that you need to remember the time that you just couldn't wait to get into your Bible to read something and find out something and figure out the secret seas of the Bible and who God is and just to get to know him a little bit better. He wants you to get back to that excitement. He's saying he wants you to remember where you've fallen from. When every moment of your day was just another moment where you could open up a conversation with the God who saved you. So you're going, driving down the road, idiot pulls out in front of you. You say, hey, that's an idiot that just pulled out in front of me, Lord. Y'all thought it. Y'all thought it. He just pulled out in front of me, Lord. And okay, I'm sorry. You love them. I shouldn't have called them an idiot. I know it. But nonetheless, you, you just couldn't wait. Lord, did you see that? That was a beautiful now it's a beautiful sunset. The moon is awesome. By the way, there's two full moons this month. We just saw a super moon. We're going to see a blue moon. That's another nerd moment, but there you go. So, so you're so excited about this stuff. Like you, you just talk to him. Like you were so excited to serve. Like where in the world can I serve at church? Well, Philip, I've never had that excitement. Well, you need to get there. Because there's an excitement to serve God because he first served you. He first loved you. And you are so encompassed, but you're so overwhelmed with the love of Christ that you just want to do something for him. It, it is kind of like when you were dating your spouse and, and you really liked them a whole lot. You really loved them a whole lot. Come on, the, that first service looked at me the same way, and you know that this is true. You know this is true. 
When you meet somebody, you are very excited to be with them because it's the first time that you went on a date and it's the first time that you bring them home to uh, meet your parents. You know that? Because you make the phone call. You're like, hey, Dad, um, I'm coming home this weekend and I'm bringing somebody with, with me. Her name is Nicole. Oh, really? Are y'all dating? Yeah, you can say that. We've gone out one day. Right? And you're on the phone and you're, you're just excited to bring her home and get your parents to, parents to meet them. And like if you're on the other side of that coin and you're the parents and they're bringing people home, you're like, nah, that ain't going to last. Right? Or you're like, yeah, that's going to last. Every parent in this room knows what I'm talking about. They bring them home, they're like, that's not going to last, that is going to last. Or I hope that doesn't last. Right? But you bring these people home and you're like really excited because, oh, it's just great. And then the day comes where you put a ring on her finger. Right? Call me a biblicist, but that's just the way it's done. So you ask her to marry. And buddy, you, you are so excited about that ring. And, and you kind of take a, a back step to her for a few moments because she's... Look at my ring, look at my ring, look at my ring. Everybody's excited about that ring that's on her finger. And you are excited too because you have no more money in the bank because you bought the ring. So you're very excited about it. And then you're heading toward your wedding day and it's just going to be great. And then you get married and it's just great. And that first love, that energy of that first love and then you say I do is just absolutely amazing. And Jesus is saying that is what you need to get back to. You need to remember that. You need to remember that excitement and get back to that love for me. So Philip, you just said that marriage, you're not as excited later on. Yeah, yeah. But I love Nicole more than I did when I first got married. So I'm, I'm not saying that. But here's what I am going to say. I know Nicole at this point. I mean, I'm learning stuff about her from time to time. She's learning stuff about me. And excited, she's actually gone to the beach currently. Um, I'm waiting. I can't wait for her to get home on Wednesday already. I mean, I can cook, and it's nice to have a house, but it's way too quiet. And I can say this because she isn't here. So it, it's, way, it's way too quiet, way too quiet in the house. I like her there. I like Quinn there. I like all that kind of stuff. But, but if you are in love with Jesus, every day his mercies are new. Every day his mercies are new. There is something that you're like, wow, that is amazing. I knew about love, but now I know it at, at a different level. I thought I knew him, but now, man, he's greater than I thought he was yesterday. And there's an excitement of getting to know Jesus as you walk on this planet, and he wants us to get back to that. He wants us to get back to that. But what often happens is you and I get distracted. We get distracted. So I wrote down some things, distractions. I don't want to miss these. And here's how we get distracted from loving Jesus, okay? Sometimes we get distracted from loving Jesus over something petty. Just something petty. Something petty comes up at, at, at church. Something petty comes up at home. Something petty comes up at our work, at, at school, or whatever. It's just petty. You know, it's just petty. Just petty. 
petty. Everybody else know, knows it, but we don't know it. And we get these little petty things, and we kind of get distracted from our love of God. Hurt. Hurt. Hurt can distract you from loving your first love. I've been hurt in church. I'm sure that you've been hurt in church. There are times of pain in a church setting. We're people. Eventually, somebody's going to hurt somebody else. It, it's just a matter, not doom and gloom, but that, that's what happens. There's also a lot of joy, but we get hurt in church. And sometimes those hurt, hurts are deep, and we get distracted from our first love. And instead of loving Jesus through that hurt, which would be a total different perspective, we allow the hurt of that individual to take over our life and distract us from the one love that we should be focused on. Yeah, so hurt in church. Sometimes it's because you become more um, focused on confronting issues than you do loving Jesus, confronting issues. Some people confront issue after issue after issue after issue after issue. We confront this, we confront this. This is what's wrong. This is what's wrong. We confront it, we confront it, we confront it, we confront it. And all the while we think that as we confront and stand for something that we're still loving Jesus, but what has actually happened is we're getting more of a thrill of confronting and winning a war that we have started because we stirred the pot. Come on, church. We stirred it. We get more of a thrill out of that, and, and, and we just get addicted to it, and it's, it takes us away from our first love, which is Jesus. Did you know... Jesus did not confront people as much as we think he did while he was here on earth. He confronted people. He pointed out their sin. I am not denying that. But if you look at his sermons and everything that he does, he goes into a village and he goes in it with the attitude to help them. He helps them by healing them. He helps them by teaching them. He helps them by pulling them out of their sinful ways into a relationship with him. He goes in to help. And see, if we're confronting to win, we're not confronting the way that Jesus does it. We've lost our first love. We confront with Jesus' love as our motivation. Is this making sense? And it makes all the difference in the world because... What we're saying to this individual is coming from the heart of God, and we're just talking to him about his heart. And they would have a better life if they would just let that go. And then looking down on them is to the side, because Jesus isn't looking down on these people. He wants them to be saved and redeemed from that issue. Is everybody tracking with me? So we confront. Yes, we stand, not confront, we stand for what is right and we do it with Christ's love. Some people are distracted by a list of do's and don'ts. They have this list of do's and don'ts that makes them a perfect Christian. And really, most of those do's and don'ts aren't even in the Bible. Sometimes they are. And if they are, that's become our love. We, we don't do this. We don't go there. We do this. We do this. We don't do this. We don't do this. And we're in love with what we do and what we don't do instead of being in love with Jesus. And if we're in love with Jesus as our first love, it will, it will impact everything that we do. And we will do the right thing because the word of God is written on our heart, distracted by a list of 
do's and don'ts. And what, off, what happens is we are distracted over a period of time is what happens. We get distracted here and a little bit here and a little bit here and a little bit here. And before too long, we've left our first love. We've left it. Jesus says, I want you to return. Jesus says, I want you back. Isn't that awesome? I want you back. By the way, first here is not like a first on a checklist. Like number one, number two, number three of importance. It's not a list of importance. First here is actually the number one thing that motivates everything that you do. So when you looked at your calendar, is the love of Christ motivating your calendar? When you look at your checkbook, is the love of Christ motivating your checkbook? When you're thinking about your activities this afternoon, is the love of Christ motivating the way you approach those activities? Whether it's eating, playing with your children, um, going to a movie, whatever, is the motivation Christ's love in everything that you do? It's first, it's foremost, it's what drives you is, is what this actually means, the love of Jesus. And Jesus says that is what should drive you. That should be the first and foremost thing that drives your calendar, drives your relationships, drives everything that you do. Now, this week, um, I was able to take Quinn to his favorite restaurant. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, Nicole went out with some people to a Mexican restaurant. Um, Quinn and I do not like Mexican. <clears throat> we eat chips there. But uh, we don't like Mexicans, so Quinn and I went to his favorite restaurant, and his favorite restaurant is Texas Roadhouse. Ever been to Texas? Oh, I heard that. Mmm, mmm, yeah, Texas Roadhouse. Yeah, that bread at Texas Roadhouse will widen your hips. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave that right there, but it will widen your hips because you just eat it, eat it, eat it, right? So he and I went, and have you been to the one in Winston? I'm sure you have, the one in Winston, and you have the bar here. And then you have this little pathway, and you have to step up to this area right here. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so he and I were sitting at the end of what I call the runway. We were sitting here. And the table behind us was a mother and father with their 30-year-old daughter, so they're older. And over right across from them is some empty nesters. I know that they're empty nesters. Don't ask me why. I just knew it. I can spot them. They're empty nesters. And then right behind them were just a, a set of young people. Uh, probably 18, 19 years old, maybe 20, and they were just having the time of their life, right? It was, it was a guy and a girl, and they were just into each other. It was awesome, appropriately into each other at a table, okay? Nothing weird going on. And then across from me, there was a, well, not here, but here, because this is the, yeah. But here was two people, and I just couldn't get a beat on them. Main reason, I couldn't see them, and it's kind of awkward for me kind of just to look like this and go, hmm, and kind of figure them all out, right? Well, we get our food, and the table right behind Quinn, which is the mother and father and the 30-year-old lady, she began yelling at her mom and dad. They had gotten their food, and in the restaurant, she was yelling. It was so loud, you could hear it over the noise that is already in Texas Roadhouse. You know how loud that place is? Like, I can't hear conversations. That's one of the things that bugs me. I can't hear everybody, everybody's conversations in that place. I like a place that's quieter so I could eavesdrop. That's what I like, okay? Right? Can't eavesdrop there. It's just way too loud. But this lady was yelling at her, yelling at her mother. 
And she said, one of the phrases she said was, I don't care who knows. And I said to Quinn, yeah, because everybody at Texas Roadhouse knows now how you feel. You don't care if everybody knows. So she, they went on this tirade. And so I'm sitting there, and you know how you get uncomfortable. Everybody was uncomfortable around them, right? Everybody was. And so you get uncomfortable, and you're kind of cutting your food kind of slowly as if that will stop her. Or like if you cut it at Norbly, she would, you know, somehow hinder her from doing that. But you're kind of quiet. And, and uh, Quinn's here, and every now and then I would go, <laughs> you know, just to see what was going on, right? It was so bad that the management came to our table just to make sure that we were okay. Like it, Texas Roadhouse, I don't know what they're doing there, but they are doing it right. They came to every table. They sent a group of people in different colored shirts to my table and to all the tables around just to make sure that we were okay. And then this 30-year-old, while that process was going on, got up from her table and said, well, I guess y'all will have a lot of leftovers. And she stormed out of the restaurant. Stormed out of the restaurant. Now, I don't know who's right or, right or wrong. I don't, I don't know if the parents were right or wrong, but this is what I do know. You're wrong if you're yelling in a restaurant. <laughs> you're absolutely wrong with that. And so I bring that up to, to say this. What if that conversation had been influenced by the love of Jesus Christ, our first love? How would it have gone differently? Well, number one, I would have never known that there was an altercation at that table, right? And I would have never known that anything was happening there. And she would have stayed and ate her food and then left. And it would have been a a more, um, not peaceful, a, a more, not conductive, productive, a, a more productive conversation. If both parties loved Jesus and hadn't left their first love, if they had their first love and had that conversation, it would have turned out totally different. Now, before we get to like, man, she really shouldn't have done that in a, in a restaurant for everybody else, let me ask you this question. Have you ever done that at home around your children? And if you have, your children were more impacted by your loud voices than we were in that restaurant with hers. And what if in the moments where you're yelling at your spouse, what if in the moment that you're yelling at them, you realize that you have left your first love because you're not handling this with Jesus' love? So maybe it's time to step back and repent and come back to that first love and then approach that particular topic with that influence over your heart. You go somewhere, you repent, Lord, I wasn't acting correctly. I raised my voice way too loud. I really shouldn't have acted that way. I was really angry and I'm really sorry. I'm coming back to my first love, which is you. I love you. I'm excited to be your child. And I, and I love my spouse. So help me go back with that love so that we can work this out. And I guarantee you, if you do that, your conversation will be a lot more productive and you'll actually get somewhere with it. That's what will happen. But doesn't it irritate you when, like, you're the one that's left the first love and your wife, in my case, is the one that's still in touch with Jesus' love and she says, I think you need to calm down. Doesn't that irritate you to death? How many like, that's just not the thing that you want to hear at the moment in time. You know she's right, but you want her to be wrong, right? Ugh. 
Why did you bring Jesus into it? I was on a roll, right? And so, but you, you take a moment, you, you get your life right, get your heart right, and you go back and you have that conversation. How would your conversations at home between you and your spouse, you and your children, be different if you took the approach? I need to make sure that I haven't left my first love before I open my mouth and handle this particular situation. How would that go differently? And I would submit to you this morning that it would. It would go much differently. Um, if you are mad at someone who loves Jesus, you've already lost. You've already lost. If you're mad at somebody that loves Jesus, you've already lost. Yeah. Before you open the first word of your mouth, you've already lost if you're mad at somebody that loves Jesus. Yeah. And I find in life that when you're mad at somebody, the best thing to do is just make sure that your relationship with him is correct before you even step out to handle anything. And once you do that, it amazes me the wisdom that comes from him to you to handle that situation. It's crazy. There are times, I wish it, it you know, there are times that I've experienced that where I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't even know where that thought came from. But it's from Jesus, and he wants this to work out correctly. So if we would come back to our first love and just let that impact all our relationships, well, it will. It will impact all our relationships. Um, you'll find that things will um, turn out just a little bit differently.